You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Nicholas Hatful. Nicholas, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. Pleased to talk to you. Nicholas, we're going to talk about your show that just opened called Shades, and it's at Dracula's Revenge, which is in New York. Uh, let's begin with a, with a title. It's, it's kind of an unusual title, Shades. Um, you know, I, I, I think of that as window shades, but of course it relates, could relate to a number of things. Uh, mm-hmm. Where did the title come from? Mm, it's, it's also kind of an unusual title for me because previously I've favored rather more flamboyant titles with parentheses and yeah a little bit more absurdity but it really came from initially thinking about um there was a sort of important starting point and that one of the main motifs in the show came from uh, a film by uh, Takeshi Kitano and I was thinking about this phrase kind of shades of Kitano which I didn't end up using as the title I just sort of trimmed it to shades but I was thinking about that expression shades of as in you know evoking uh, somebody else's style or something of someone else or something of another time. But then I also liked that it could refer to kind of tone uh, or light and shade, but then also even shades as in the underworld. So it covered a few different like things. So to jump into one of the pieces right away, um, and their their titled shades, you know, one, two, three, four, Five, uh, six, and um, let's talk about six. To start at the end, it's called Morning Landscapes, and it seems unlike the others. It's pretty minimal. It's it's gouache and, and acrylic on, on linen, <laughs> and also a, a, a big piece. Um, let's talk about this because this feels very different than everything else in the show, right? There's a, mm-hmm. um, a, a lot of space in there. This one feels a little bit more like a, a landscape where. Um, some of the others do. Um, Shades one certainly does, but but a lot of them are, are abstract uh, shapes. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So morning morning landscape. What's what's happening there? For yeah, you? I, I suppose in order to I guess and for a long time in my work, there's been a sort of tension between some kind of landscape space with some sort of recession and a horizon, but then also the possibility of kind of floating abstract painting space. But shade six is it was kind of an outlier, I suppose, as you say, um, in that it, it is perhaps genuinely unfinished. Um, it was started at the same, or started just before Shades 5, and the painting that ended up being Shades 5, I ended up beginning because I liked how Shade 6 was going, and I thought oh, I need to sort of start another version of this to kind of release a bit of uh, pressure from, from myself with Shade 6 so I could sort of explore you know, another another kind of permutation from the same starting point. But, I mean, sometimes this, there's a sort of inevitability to this process where the painting, you think, well, that's definitely not going in the show and um, it's, it's definitely not finished. You know, I was, I was showing works to a few different visitors to the studio and several people whose uh, kind of eyes I trust sort of remarked that it looked interesting at that point. And then just before we're about to ship the works, I just thought that it kind of the increased the, the sort of relative uh, airiness and openness of it and even the color of the linen I felt it needed to be in the group it, I felt it needed to be in the mix 
So we're looking at raw linen there as well. Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's also sort of like an underdrawing of uh, of color pencil and chalk over quite a lot of that raw linen. Um, but yeah, there's a sort of horizon um, with trees, um, and then I suppose yeah, various organic shapes which um, yeah start to lock together like unusual puzzle pieces or something. Um, but yeah, they let, derive let, from various sources. Those, uh, yeah. yeah, let's talk about those shapes and, and as you're saying, the sources that they derive from because you, you've also talk about, talked about how um, children, I, I think perhaps, you know, you know your daughter um, is, is, is someone you learn from, right? And, 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 I, and I relate that to that too, the way children look at shapes, the way their, their mind is so active and, um, and how one thing can look like another, the way we do with clouds or, mm. or ice cream or, or, or all kinds of things. So, um, yeah, are the, are the, when you talked about, just as I uh, you know, began to speak and kind of cut you off, you were talking about where those shapes come from. And, um, and to me, that's such an interesting like, thought that, that I'd like you to complete because, um, <laughs> yeah, and in, in reference to your to your, your daughter, that's also um, partly what you're getting influenced by, correct? Yeah, I think, yeah, perhaps you saw in, there was an interview or sort of email conversation that we put out in, in lieu of a conventional press release. And um, yeah, I was mentioning this, this moment with my daughter at our local ice cream parlor where she was kind of eating her ice cream with a little wooden spoon and uh, as she was uh, sucking the ice cream off the spoon, sort of taking the spoon out and studying the uh, sort of uh, chocolate ice cream form that was left on the, on the spoon and, um, you know, commenting that perhaps at one point it looked like a sofa and then after another mouthful it looked like a bed. Um, and, yeah, with that sort of prompt, I was even seeing a, a bed in the, in the sort of uh, mouthful of chocolate ice cream with a headrest. Um, and, yeah, I suppose that stuck with me and it sort of spoke to me of um, morpholo- morphological concerns and fluidity, but also, yeah, I mean, this... I suppose, yeah, it's beautiful and sort of uh, effortless way children have with association and kind of, yeah, imaginative leaps. Um, and, yeah, maybe that, maybe that sort of informed something with the recent work where I was more comfortable or more open with leaving shapes as sort of ambiguous, organic sort of islands of form in a way uh, and not having to spell out what they were and not, or not sort of having to be pedantically faithful to my original sense of where they came from, perhaps. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, to the extent that it's interesting, um, in the the Shade 6, which you were mentioning, there's actually buried rather deep in the mix is a a Fairfield Porter painting. Um, But then there's also elements that come from a film still. There's something, something like kind of rippling water reflecting orange light at the bottom as a painting but then there's also an element which derives from a, from a pizza box lid that I'd saved from many years ago um, yeah and they're sort of yeah they're sort of coalescing and speaking to each other in some way inside the space of the canvas 
Yeah, that's so interesting. So, right, that, that of course, happens with canvases or within canvas, that kind of dialogue you're talking about, about shapes. Uh, but in, in this case, something that's almost a landscape becomes something else, right? Where these images, these shapes are almost symbols. They, they could create a narrative. I mean, the various things that you just put together are, mm-hmm. are, are, seem, seem really disparate. But the viewer, in a sense, tries to make sense of that, right? Tries to, mm. tries to put these things together. Why the pizza box or what looks like a pizza mm-hmm. box in a house and, and, and all these other shapes come together. Um, do you see that as a narrative or is, this, or, or is it entirely formal? The, the, the viewer is looking at shapes, looking at form, color, light. Um, so to me, it feels like there's a, there's a story in here almost, or, or perhaps it's me inventing one or trying to. Invent well, one. I suppose I think there's a kind of I hope there's a sort of and I sense there's a sort of sweet spot where the formal concerns and the I guess I would call them kind of associative or imaginative uh, possibilities of the images where they're sort of in sync and they kind of become integral with each other. Um, yeah, I, I suppose I don't have a particular narrative in mind, and I don't even really pretend to know what the meaning of these things coming together might be. It's, it's but I feel that there, I feel that there is there is something meaningful in bringing them together, and I feel that you know the point of painting for me is that you can bring these things, which yeah, as you said, it might seem very disparate. You can bring them together, and things that might not want to belong together that might almost be sort of irre- irreconcilable uh, shapes and, uh, and images or they, they come from such different places that they can, if you sort of pitch them into the painting with some sort of confidence and, um, and also sort of openness, then they can relate to each other, um, if that makes any sense. It, it does make sense. I mean, I, I'm also seeing this like with the you know, or trying to see it through the lens of a child. And, and, and as you said, the, the, the interview that, that you're using in the gallery for a you know, kind of introduction to the show, in the, in the image Shades 1, which um, is also a landscape, but, but has things that are more identifiable in there. You know, we see what mm-hmm. looks like lily pads in front of a house, so the house is you know, perhaps floating somewhere. But there, uh, there's also a, this kind of stick in the, in the foreground that looks almost like a giant lollipop or something. Mm-hmm. These, these images do look very uh, disparate, but it also, if I'm not pushing this too much, looks like something your daughter could look at and say, oh, that's, you know, X, Y, and Z. It looks, you know, where, where uh, she may or may not feel free to completely read this image in a way mm. that, is, is, is not what you're intending, but it seems to almost like beg that or ask that or, you know, kind of ask the viewer, where are we? Um, not necessarily for a narrative, but, but again, using, you know, a child as, as the example, it seems it's something that we could quickly project onto. And uh, if, if we were as open as a child mm. is that way, and, and, and kind of come up with a space that, you know, perhaps is, is, is what's in our mind, right? The way your child mm. is saying, it could be a bed, could be a couch, now it's this, now it's that. This painting could also uh, change that way, which is really unusual, right? I mean, I'm talking about whether, like, there's narratives in here or not, and, and, you're, and you're saying there aren't narratives, but in a way there could be, like, multiple narratives in here. They could be, right? yeah. I guess, I don't know why I'm sort of resistant to the idea of narrative as such, 
I'm, I'm not really. I suppose I think maybe more of something like a song lyric, or like a sort of string of images that might exist in a mysterious song lyric, but that feel like they conjure all sorts of uh, further images to the to the listener. And perhaps you know that's in the same way. Then, yeah, each each viewer could could have some, some, something very particular to them conjured in their minds. But I very much liked at the opening um, of the show uh, just this past Sunday, uh, the, yeah, the form you referred to uh, is, is kind of like a pizza paddle, again, from a, yeah. a box that I saved from a, a meal in Rome in about 2001 um, that I actually made a painting on as a teenager. Um, but I sort of felt compelled to return to this form. And there was, but there was a, uh, another four-year-old girl at the opening, not my daughter, who asked, uh, does the pizza live in the house? And just talking about children's imagination, that, I love that because it wasn't, it wasn't quite asking, does the pizza, does that pizza and the pizza paddle sort of go with or belong to the house or does it relate to the house? She was asking, does it live in the house? Um, and I love that, like, because it, it suggested that there's a sort of anthropomorphic quality or a sort of animate quality to that, um, to that form as well, which I really like. I love that. Yeah, so glad you mentioned that. I mean, does the pizza live in the house? <laughs> you know, that, that's a great title for a show. Too, Maybe that would be, what it, yeah, next show title. <laughs> the, the next show that, you know, but it, it points to something really interesting, right? Because, you know, she's inventing a narrative and, and the idea of whether or not the pizza lives in the house is, is not only about a narrative, but it, it's almost the way you might ask a writer um, who's written a novel about a character, and then you say, had that character ever traveled to another country? You know, it's, it's something that's not in the book. It's something mm. that's not in this painting, but um, she's seeing but it almost if the writer as, should know, I felt like perhaps I should know. Right, but, but perhaps you should, perhaps I think I should have said yes. Know. I suppose it does. Um, uh, right. I mean, it reminds me of, the, of I, I think when J.K. Rowling was talking about, you know, Harry Potter, and someone's asking about Dumbledore, and she said, "Oh, Dumbledore was gay." You know, it's like uh-huh. she knows she knows that, but nobody else knows that, and it wasn't in the book. But then it sort of makes sense, and you know, these kind of these kind of uh, characters, right, that, that that are in there. So, so that's such a curious kind of tangent to get onto in, in this mm. particular talk for me. <laughs> but does, does the pizza live in the house? Could, that, that could apply to a lot of things here. I mean, what do you think about that? Because there is, for example, the fact that you, you did a painting on a pizza box, as I understood it, when you were a teenager. So there mm. is some kind of like backstory here, not, not quite the one that um, the little girl was talking about at your opening, but that that kind of gets us into like a whole nother area that, that painters don't usually talk about, right? The way writers talk about characters, like what else, where are these forms going? Where are they, where are they living? I mean, you could say that with, is this painting going off the canvas? Yeah. It appears well, to I be, think right? that's part of why I, in, sorry. No, go on. Yeah. Cut in there. That's part of why I included oh. the, the unfinished painting as well. Cause it sort of felt like it was, the forms were sort of drifting off the edge or, they were sort of bubbling over um, and the way that they were relating to the other paintings in the space, it felt like some of the images in the paintings, yeah, were sort of about to float off the edge of the canvas and maybe, maybe they could even migrate over to other paintings in the space. Um, 
Yeah, but on the other hand, yeah, thinking about some of the images as, as characters, I think uh, there's another image which, or sort of thought symbol that crops up in several of these paintings, which come this sort of slightly heraldic looking, or almost like characters um, in several of the paintings, which comes from um, an amazing uh, jumper piece of knitwear that I saw in this film, Hanabi or, or fireworks by uh, Kitano, and um, I was interested in the way, and it didn't seem to sort of become boring to repeat it. It was in each paint, in the context of each new painting, it took on an entirely different aspect, almost like your most sort of mercurial friends. The way how different their moods could be, and how differently they could, yeah, how different they they could, mm. how differently they could strike you. Yeah, that's so interesting to to um, to talk about your your process a little bit. Um, some of these are on linen, and some of these are on a canvas. Cotton duck is is that the case? One of them is on canvas. Yeah, that's actually the oldest painting in the show. That was from yeah, that's from a, that's from kind of February last year, in fact. But everything else was made, you know, with a show in mind, and it's kind of since November, and everything else is on quite a heavy linen. Um, we, yeah, we could talk about that. Yeah, because you're using Material acrylic right. and gouache, right? Which, which is a kind of watercolor paint on on linen, which which is unusual. I mean, I assume there's like a gesso on there for a surface. But um, actually, I, I, I wanted a I wanted an incredibly absorbent surface for these, uh, and the linen has a certain tooth. I think I became slightly more interested in what. Uh, kind of calibrating the surface could offer in terms of how the marks would be accepted and yeah what the implications of having more than one layer would be um, so they are yeah they are the linen is sealed with um, with some uh, acrylic sizing but then I, several of them have a, a sort of base layer of this black earth ground but then also layers of um, acrylic gouache so it does have quite a sort of chalky and absorbent ground, um, because yeah, the acrylic, I, the, the acrylic, the, the gouache is is more matte, right? The, that, that has a yes. different kind of quality, um, and, I, and I guess against black, that's that's why you're getting these kind of different. Um, the surface, right, is is, is 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 could be glossy, could be matte, but it's but it's mixed. Mm. In other words, it tends towards matteness. In some of them, where there is also oil, you get a slightly more greasy kind of sheen if you look at the painting from a particular angle um yes i, th I mean I, I like the way that I, I like the sense that if a painting is going well you're almost sort of pitching things into the painting and they sort of get sucked in so with an absorbent surface the paint is almost getting sort of sucked off or leached off the brush and sort of taken into another another realm the sort of virtual realm of the, the painting space um and that works for me. I, I respond to that, and that, yeah. Well, the black ground also 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 works with that, right? Because the black ground also feels kind of like an infinite space that the, the mm. things are almost being sucked into or could fly away into. Mm. For sure, or, or yeah, or sort of a sort of gloom in a way, a, sh a sort of shadow mm. world, perhaps. Yeah, that's so interesting. Well, Nicholas. Um, I want to congratulate you on this show, which is, of course, running to June 18th. And um, and I want to ask you one more 
off-topic question before we go, which is, what are you reading at the moment? If it's, um, you know, children's books or, or whatever it is, I'm <laughs> curious. Well, many, many of those, certainly. Uh, I just finished a book of essays by Elvia Wilk called Death by Landscape, which, yeah, I'd really recommend to anyone listening. It covers a variety of topics, but um, kind of explores various works of uh, what is called ecosystems fiction, but then also LARPs, live action role plays, and um, writing during the pandemic. I also recently read Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro um, and TJ Clark's uh, If These Apples Must Fall, his book about Suzanne. Nicholas, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today and, and again wish you well on this show. Thanks for getting in touch. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.